Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. This is John Ramstead, and uh, Sandra Crawford Williams and I are about to have a conversation that you you get to listen to on Mitch Matthews. And who out there has had just a huge dream or a goal, or you're trying to figure out what to do next, and you want to move toward that? I can tell you, the times in my life where I've been absolutely most alive is when I when I have been pursuing some huge dreams and goals, and that's what happened to Mitch in 2006. What happened, he, he actually originally started something with some friends and family. He was going to get together for a few hours to just kind of get clear on what dreams, what could be. And the simple concept has actually turned into a global movement that has launched thousands of dreams. And uh, we bring Mitch on today to just share about what that is. Uh, he has a podcast called Dream Think Do. He's uh, written a book called Dream Job. Uh, redefined and uh, he proudly lives what he calls a highly caffeinated lifestyle. He lives in Iowa with their wife and their two boys and uh, I gotta tell you th- this is just a fantastic interview about actually how to identify, move toward and reach some of those worthwhile goals and dreams that you still have that you're thinking about that keep you in bed at night. So um, excited for you to hear this conversation with Mitch. He is awesome. You know, please share this with somebody and love to hear from you. If there's anything I can do for you or our team, Sandra or Steve, uh, let us know. God bless you all. Talk to you soon. Mitch, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, John. I am, I am honored and excited to be here. Well, you know, Sandra, you and I were talking like, who would be an amazing guest to have back on? And one of the, the names that came to mind for both of us was Dondi Scumachi, and she ah. is amazing. And if you guys go back and listen to Dondi's um, episode with us. And so, uh, we reached out, we were talking to Dondi and I said, Hey, who, you know, here's, you know, what's going on with the, in the, in the world, the podcast. And she said, Hey man, there, if there is one person you need to have on your show, it is my friend, Mitch Matthews and Mitch, you started the, the big dream gathering and guys, we're, yeah. we're going to be talking about today. You know, I, I my goodness, how many people are like searching for that dream job, trying to figure out, what it even looks like, does it exist, how do you find it, and then how do you step into it? So those are just some of the things we're going to be talking about with you today, Mitch. Um, so thank you. I love you it. Well, I can t- tell you, I can, uh, John, I can just say, just mentioning Dondi's name, I've got this big, goofy grin on my on my face right <laughs> now, and I'm going to have it the whole time. So thanks for bringing up Dondi, and it's yeah, it's it's fantastic to think that she's she's the one that connected us. It's just an honor. Oh, she's she is, she's a, she's a, She's just a jewel. She's awesome. Can I can I share something with you that that stands out to me and I think this will resonate with your your listeners as well that something yeah, yeah. that Dondi did and this won't surprise you but I I was speaking at that conference that Dondi and I both spoke at and I that was one of the times where I actually brought my family and um I I spoke on the Friday night, she spoke on the Saturday, but she attended on Friday night. And my boys, who were very young at the time, they're teenagers now, but they were very young at the time, came. And here's Dondi. She's one of the biggest names on you know the conference, all of this stuff. She's big stuff, all of those things, done amazing things. But when my family arrived, uh, you know, we're kind of milling around all of that. Uh, she was the first person. You know, again, here she's this professional. She's this big name. She's traveled the globe. You know, she walks in a room. Everybody knows her. She was the first person to get down on a knee and get eyeball to eyeball with my boys and start to engage them. 
And it was this greatest gift because all of a sudden the boys, you know, they went from feeling like outsiders. Oh, it's just a big adult meeting. Right. To all of a sudden feeling included. And I thought, what, you know, what an example of leadership. And she didn't do it where it was showy. She pulled them off to the side so she could really have a conversation with them. And I just thought one of the greatest examples of true leadership, love and compassion and all those things just played out. And, you know, it blessed the socks off my boys, which of course then blessed the socks off of me. So you bring up Dondi's name. That's just one of my favorite memories of something she did that very, only a handful of people know about, but it's just a precious, precious memory for me. Wow, I, you know, I'm just smiling having you know hearing that right because uh, you know when I teach leadership and I you know work with uh, the military and big companies, I got to tell you that it's I, I think part of my message is you know what you got to bring the humanity back into leadership, brought back into the workforce, and you know that's exactly what uh, Dondi you know did. I mean, uh, you know that's just that's just who she is, right? That's how she yep. operates. But yep. I think if we could all operate. Like, you know, what she models. Yeah, it'd be the way things would just get better everywhere. No doubt. No doubt. I love it. And I know that's a big part of what you do. So listen, so everybody, we, we kind of share a little bit about what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, but I know the journey to get to kind of what you are doing now, even before that crazy, like fateful pivot point that happened in your living room that you guys are going to hear about this really cool story. But can you kind of share with us what? you know, kind of the journey, um, through, through that point. Sure. Where, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> how about this? Whatever you think is kind of relevant because you know, our, 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 I think our big goal for this conversation is how do we kind of, you know, uh, equip and inspire some people to actually start moving forward into either, you know, doing what they're doing now, you know, yeah. differently or doing that dream job. Cause I think, uh, because there was a study that just came out, I read that kind of it didn't surprise me, but it was sad. But uh, I think it was in USA Today, seventy-six percent of people on Sunday night, Mitch, when they think about the work ahead, literally yeah. have a physical or mental, you know, uh, illness, right? Anxiety, you know, nauseousness, whatever. Thinking about the work, you know, the 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 work week coming up. I mean, I mean, that's just a that that's that man. That is not where we want to live. Your mission, your passion, is actually to to move people on the other side of that line. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. part of that is because I've had that. I don't know, John. I'm guessing maybe there was a week where you had that because you're always just on fire, Sandra. You're always on fire. But it's that you know, if you've had that, and I've had that that feeling of just a little part of you dying because the thought of what you have to go and do the next day. Right. And for me, uh, uh, you know, there was a season of that where I'd actually, um, I was in an industry. It was back when I was in the pharmaceutical sales industry. And when I'd started in that industry, it was a great fit. It was a great experience. It was something that I wanted to do. Plus I was in God's country. I had to get this. I had a pharmaceutical territory, sales territory of Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, go sell in God's country, right? And they equipped me with a Jeep and and I drove all over. It was amazing, right? But I got into that industry, it was a good fit. But but gradually I I through a series of promotions and some moves and all of that, a, a great fit job became a bad fit job. And it wasn't a bad job. It was just a bad fit job for me. And and it's one of those that 
what, what can happen in that, and maybe you've experienced this, but what can happen in that is all of a sudden, because you're in a bad fit job, you can start to believe all sorts of things about yourself. Like mm. you can start to believe that you're not skilled in anything or that you're losing your talent or that you're, you've become less relevant or that you're become, you know, that, that this is basically as good as it's going to get. And I think that's the scariest moment is when you start to lose hope. And, um, so I know for me, I had to do some really specific things to break out of that. I know, you know, I, I, I'm sure we'll talk about the book, but my most recent book is called dream job redefined. And I went and interviewed about 200 people that either, found or created a, their dream job. And, um, and, and I found, uh, you know, many of them had had similar experiences where they had either lost hope or gotten close to losing hope. And then they had to break out of that and, and to take specific steps to move out of that. And, and so, yeah, I saw that same statistic and it, and it breaks my heart, but it also lights me up to say, we got to fix this. You know, that is a huge number. Um, and there, you know, there are a whole lot of people that have got incredible talents that are put on the planet to do specific things and they're not doing them. So we got to do something about that. So. Absolutely. Well, and you know, two things that come to mind as you're talking, I mean, so many people are not clear on what their giftedness is, right? Like what's their Ephesian 2.10 set of gifts the Lord has given them from birth. Yeah. And so everything I do on a daily basis is to try and point people back to that. And whether it's through our coaching, you know, that John and I do, or our, our, our speaking, our writing, whatever, it's always trying to push people back. Hey, if you can go figure out what your gifts are from birth that are just your natural talents and go weave a job around those, you know, that old silly saying, you're never going to work a day in your life, right? Yeah. So how do you, do you talk a lot about, gifts and you know what you're naturally talented at and that sort of thing when you're talking about getting people back on track to their dream job yeah i mean i think that that is i think that's one of the challenges with that and and it's interesting in that uh you know with talking with a lot of the people especially for the book you know one of my goals was to find people that would be in a dream job and and one of the reasons why we called it dream job redefined is that it was a dream job for them Right. So some of them were working jobs that they loved. Some of them were working jobs that allowed them to do something they loved on the side. Right. So for them, it was a dream job because, you know, th because it was either allowing them to do something they loved or allowing to do something on the side that they loved. And what was really interesting with so many of them is, uh, you know, they talked about that there usually had been a point uh, where they were either close to or had completely gotten away from their strengths. And, and kind of their passions and what they were put on the planet to do. And th there really was that there was that moment of realizing, like, it's been a long time since I've felt like I've really been able to do something I love or to really be able to do something that just, you know, allowed me to get into flow and just to experience God, just it just is all lined up, you know, those kinds of things. So they really did for some had to kind of dig back in and they either forgotten or buried those strengths and gifts. And so it really does take what I call experimenting to get back in touch with those things. 
Yeah. Now, now, Mitch, I'd love to kind of uh, kind of lay a little foundation here because your book is about the dream job. People are listening, going, "Okay, what what is that?" First of all, because I know I'd love to have one. I just don't have it now. <laughs> so, right. Absolutely. Yeah. What I got so ahead. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how do you Absolutely. define a you know a dream job? And then the question is, do they even exist? Because I think yeah. when we when we lose track of does it even exist, man, that's where we start to lose the hope. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's, it's, it's funny because I wrestled with whether we should even call it dream job redefined or even have dream job in the title, just because I even me personally have a love hate relationship with that moniker, right? The dream job, because I think there's some that can think that the dream job that sounds kind of airy fairy, you know, rainbows and butterflies kind of touchy feely. Do they really even exist? But they do. Now, I, I think what the reason why we call it dream job redefined is to be able to say that I, the way that I define it is doing work that you love or doing work that allows you to do something you love. So mm-hmm. one of the you know, one of the, the people that I interviewed, uh, you know, created a company. He absolutely loves what he does, everything about it, um, all of those things. Another person that I interviewed uh, was a corporate attorney incredibly talented, very good at what he did. But one of the reasons why he loved his job was it allowed him to do a passion that he had outside of work, which was extreme swimming. So, um, he literally goes and swims around the world. He knows that his job, uh, you know, affords him that lifestyle. And so he said, you know, there's days where I love my work some days, not so much, but I can sit in any meeting. I can sit at my desk any day with a big smile on my face because I've, you know, I'm in touch with, what this job, what this work allows me to do. So I think, you know, for some, uh, you know, it's really about the work. And for some, it's being grateful for the work that they've got so that it allows them to do something outside of work. Now, for me, one of the other things that we, you know, got very clear on is that even though it's a dream job, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily easy. It doesn't mean that you love every aspect. In fact, one of the things we specifically talk about is with everybody that I interviewed, there was always something we called the suck factor <laughs> within the job. And, and the suck factor is that element of the work that you don't love. You might even loathe it, right? But if you can keep the suck factor to 20% or less, you're in a dream job, baby. Like that's a beautiful <laughs> thing because it's, you know, I, I want to say, you know, I, I've got an uncle that's, uh, you know, he's a great guy, but he's a little grumpy and and he kind of thinks of God's gift, uh, you know, the, why God put him on the planet is to shoot down other people's ideas. And I think it's out of, you know, trying to keep people safe or whatever. But, you know, he just hates that term dream job, right? Like he thinks that when I say dream job, it means everything's fine, you know, just beautiful, easy, riding on a cloud. And it's like, no way. This still takes work. It still, you know, involves things, you know, whether it's a difficult client from time to time. I know for me, like I've never been a math guy. I don't really enjoy math. Right. And so like accounting, um, tax work, all that stuff that falls into my suck factor category. Now, as our organization has grown, I do less and less of that because, you know, we've got a bigger team that helps with more and more of that. So I can kind of stay at the higher levels and not be in the details. But man, when we were first starting out, I'm in the QuickBooks, I'm pulling receipts out of Ziploc bags, like, right. It was gross, but I had to do it in order to continue to build what is now a, a dream job for me through and through. So um, you know, we, we say it's not that it's easy. It's not that it's perfect, but it is work that you love doing and uh, doing that a majority of the time. 
Yeah, that's a great point because it's not always easy. But, and also, you know, it, it doesn't always involve, you know, uh, being surrounded by awesome people, right? There's those folks in this world because whenever there's people involved, there's conflict, there's risk, there's hard work. So, you know, putting all that in context, I think I'm really glad you brought that up. That That's important. It's not like this utopia, is it? No, it's not. And you still have to put it out there. There's still risk. You know, it's interesting. You know, for me, it's one of those that and I'm sure you guys, you know, you're you're growing your businesses, all of those things. You do speaking, you do coaching. I know for me, you know, initially one of the, the most challenging aspects of this uh, business is reaching out and kind of reaching out to new organizations, right? Building new relationships. And sometimes that involves cold calling or, you know, uh, almost cold interactions, all of those things. And it's funny as far as to go, you wrestle with those same things and, and with any, any new adventure, um, there's always going to be risk. There's always going to be putting it out there. And one of the things that we talk about in that, because I used to wrestle with that big time, I'm a recovering warrior. I'm a mm. recovering perfectionist, you know, John Sandra, you know, I got issues, right? <laughs> I'm not as bad as I was <laughs> yesterday, but, uh, you know, I'm getting better every day, but I'm not where I want just yet. You know, it's all those things. Um, but it's that whole thing of one of the things that we started to do was, uh, we have what we call UPAs unknown potential advocates. And, and if, uh, you know, I have a salesperson that a part of her week is reaching out to new organizations, all of those things. And, uh, uh, you know, she's reaching out and there's always that element of what if somebody says no, there's always that element of, uh, you know, what if somebody doesn't like us? What if somebody, you know, turns us away, all of those things. But we talk about unknown potential advocates because when we look back, so many of those cold calls, so many of those new relationships have turned into fantastic, not only working relationships, but friendships, you know, like actual friendships. And it's, it's that whole thing of going, we had to push through that fear, which is not something anybody loves to do, but we had to push through that fear to, to not only, you know, grow our business, but to grow these great, great, deep relationships. And so, you know, there's always risk involved. So, uh, you know, that's uh, when we say dream, dream job, it doesn't necessarily mean easy, but it definitely means rewarding. Well, hey, hey, uh, Mitch, if somebody's not in that dream job right now, right? Me, sometimes it's easier to kind of figure out what I don't want versus what I do want. So I know that that's not what I have right now. So when you, when you're working with people, you know, what, what are, you know, what, where do we start? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I, uh, like you guys, I do coaching as well and, and work one on one. And of course, you know, I do speaking some working with large audiences. But when I work one on one with folks, uh, you know, one of the first things I do is take them back literally to the things that they love. Um, and, and I have them do an exercise and I have them write down a hundred things they love or have loved to do. And, and I'll give them a week to do that. But it's a really interesting exercise because it's deceptively simple, right? It sounds easy. Sometimes, you know, for my a hundred things doesn't sound that easy. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. The first 20 are probably are like, pretty oh, easy. That's, easy. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I know if you really think about it, it's like, oh gosh, you know, and some people can hammer it out. And it's funny because the shared experience by a vast majority of the people, uh, that, you know, that I do this with is first, they might think it's easy or think it's kind of a throwaway or whatever. Like, oh, I can do this. I can hammer it out. And they'll, they'll sit down and get maybe 20, 25, Right. 
And then it'll start to really slow down to a creep. And then they'll you know, push themselves again, maybe to do another session. And then there's usually some breaking point where they're like, ah, oh, I'll just write them down. You know, just they, they don't filter. And that's what I love it because then all sorts of fun stuff comes out. And a lot of times it's even stuff that they used to do as kids. You know, it's it's that thing that that like almost feel embarrassed to write down because it's so simple. And, and you know, as a great example of this and, and what happened, I was working with an executive who actually hired me to help her sell her company. Um, she had started a company, um, but she had fallen out of love with the work. And it was really interesting because I said, OK, I, you know, let's work together. I said, the only thing I would ask is that that might be your goal going in the onset. But it, the only thing I would ask is to hold loosely to that goal, because I said, it sounds like really what you want to do is really rekindle the passion and whether that means and, and do something you love. And if that means selling your business, great, we'll work through that. But if it, you know, if it doesn't mean selling your business, it just means, you know, getting reacquainted or finding the passion again. Are you okay with that? And she said, absolutely. So we did this exercise. And one of the things that we did was, and, and I could see it, it was in the latter part of the list, but it started to come up a couple of different times was as a kid, she loved to do puzzles. That's mm. something she did with her family. It's something she did on her own. Um, she even created a couple of different puzzles and all of this. And it was funny. It was almost like throwaway. Like, you know, she even admitted, yeah, towards the end, I just started just throwing stuff out, you know, stuff that I used to do as a kid, all of that. And I said, well, that's interesting. I said, let's dig into that. You know, and I always look for patterns when I'm looking through the lists and things. But one of the things is I said, you know, puzzles, I, I saw that really come out, especially in the latter part of your list. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I guess it did. And I said, so, you know, how might that relate to the work that you got into? And, and she had basically a software and IT company. And what was really interesting was, is she started to think through, she's like, well, that's actually why I got into the work that I got into. That's why I got into coding. That's why I got into programming. And I said, why? She goes, I love to solve puzzles. I mm. loved, that was, that was why I did it. And I said, oh gosh, that's, you know, that's amazing. That's great. I said, so let's, let's just dive deeper into that. I said, how much puzzle solving are you doing now? And she got real quiet. She's like, well, you know, it's funny as my company grew, you know, I found I'm, I'm now doing a lot more people stuff. I'm doing HR, I'm doing visioning and strategy. She's like, I feel like I can't even remember the last time I really got to solve a puzzle. I was like, interesting. And so we wound up then spending some time in some ways, taking a, a look at what she was currently doing and changing the vantage point slightly as far as to say, okay, where could there be some puzzles in that? But also allowing her to delegate some of the work that she was doing that, you know, she had taken on as her business had grown and, and in some ways moved away from the things that she loved to do, the things, the very reason she started her business. And she was really able to kind of reshape a lot of her responsibilities to get back to that puzzle solving that she loved as a kid. Now, you know, in the beginning, if it, you, you look in Ephesians 2, I love that you brought that up, Sandra. Right? Like puzzle solving isn't one of those lists on the list, you know, like the, the spiritual gifts and, and the gifts that, you know, God gives us all that puzzle solving is not necessarily one of those. But when you dive deep, there's all sorts of different types of gifts. And that list is, is not necessarily exclusive, right? There's so many different types of things. And so if someone's able to, in some way, give themselves that permission to say, what are some of the things that I love to do? What are some of those things that I have loved to do? And make, you know, once you see that list, to start to dig in and say, all right, what are some of the strengths that are in there? What, what, what's hidden in that list? 
of things. Well, and it's so what you just described has happened so often with entrepreneurs. They start a company around something that they love to do and they're, you know, they're on fire. They're excited. They love it. It, it grows. So they hire people and, you know, they still love it. And then, but over time, as your business grows, you get further and further away from the reason you started the business in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, that story is like poster child, right? Absolutely. So, So if you're out there listening and, you know, you started your own business around, you know, whether it was flower arranging or coding or you started your own in-home childcare, whatever it is. And now all of a sudden you're waking up on, you know, Monday morning, like, ugh, with the ick factor, um, you know, do exactly what, you know, we just heard. Like, let's stop. I love the list. I'm going to do that. I need to make the list of 100 things. That is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, go think about why you started this gig to in the first place. And and you know what? You're in charge. Go delegate. Go hire people to do the stuff you don't like to do. Um, I mean, that's a that's a really great story. I have a question because, um, you know, I I am just turned 51, so I'm of the generation where we saw our parents do jobs and really struggle and work really hard. Um, and so when I started coming up and, you know, really my twenties and thirties, I don't, every time I thought about, oh, gosh, I want I want my dream job or I want a job I like better. Or, oh, I don't really like this. You know, I would a lot of times feel guilty about that because, mm-hmm. you know, I would stop and think, well, I bet my dad didn't wake up every day and was super excited to go do what he did, but he did whatever he did to put food on the table and so I could go to college. Right. Yeah. How, how do you, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that topic? Cause I know there are a lot of people out there going, you know what, I got kids in college or, you know, I have a, a sick spouse or I'm, I'm supporting my parents and, you know, their older retirement phase. So I don't really have time to do, do this dream job. Like that's, you know, people hear that term and they go, Oh yeah, wouldn't that be nice? What do you say right. to those people? Absolutely. And and I think it's it's one of those things that oftentimes we've got responsibilities. So, you know, I know for me, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about it before I, we hit record. But uh, for me, uh, you know, I was in that phase of uh, in that bad fit position. Uh, you know, a part of me was dying every Sunday night. Mm. A part of me was dying every day I was driving to work. And we were in a sitcom situation, which was single income, two children, oppressive mortgage. So <laughs> I couldn't, although there was a huge part of my heart that just wanted to say, throw caution to the wind. I got a sense of what I want to do. I'm, I'm just going to quit my day job and go after that. I just love to be able to do that kind of the field of dreams, build it and they will come. But that would have been irresponsible. It would have been wrong, and I actually think it would have been uh, a bad thing to do, not just uh, from the standpoint of my family, but it wouldn't have been a good thing to, or a good way to build a business, right? So for me, what I had to do is I had to give myself permission to start small, uh, to you know, kind of agree that I wasn't going to make any radical, fast changes, especially when it came to how we make our income. What I was going to do is I basically said, all right, I'm going to take a little bit of time and just start to really focus. Now, one of the things that I did, and, and I talk a little bit about this in the book, is I gave myself 15 minutes a day uh, because I was very much in the situation you were just talking about, Sandra. I mean, I was we had moved back to Iowa to kind of help with some family medical issues. 
Uh, we had two, you know, two small children. My wife stayed home with them, which is a, that's a misnomer. They were never home. You know what I mean? It's like stay at home parent. It's like, yeah, they're never home. They're running. They're as busy as I was messier than I was all of those things. But it's that, you know, I couldn't just quit and I did not feel like I had just scads and scads of spare time to devote. Right. I was, I was working a long job. I was traveling a lot, all of those things, but I did don't forget the oppressive mortgage. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Just always hanging there. And I did mention I'm a recovering warrior. So that was always top of mind. Right. So the whole thing of um, what I did was I gave myself permission to give myself 15 minutes a day, which 15 minutes a day, day to day doesn't seem like much, but it adds up. I mean, uh, you know, I will always ask an audience if I could give you 60 hours to work towards your dream job, would you take it? And, you know, there's every hand in the place. Well, you know, absolutely. Yeah. You know, every hands in the air saying, I'll take that. It's like, well, 15 minutes a day, five days a week over the course of a year adds up to just under 62 hours. So taking that 15 minutes a day and being intentional with it, Mm. it's amazing what you can do. I love that. Yeah. And so it's that whole thing. And so that's how I built our business. Our business started 15 minutes a day over the course of a couple of years that that built into, once I found 15 minutes a day, it was much easier to start finding 30 minutes a day, which was then much easier to find 60 minutes a day. And that's basically, and I, uh, you know, I tell my friends that, you know, our business started as a one hour business. You know, I love Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. I, you know, it's a great title. It's some, you know, the, the book, the idea of the book is great. Sometimes a little hard to apply for most of us, all of that stuff. But I, I say, you know, my business is a one hour business and they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I built our business one hour a day on the side. And I couldn't have started with one hour a day because that was too much of a stretch for me. Right. But 15 minutes a day built into 30 minutes a day, which built into an hour a day. And over the course of time, I was able to launch our business, quit my, you know, that bad fit job and launch this as a business. And we haven't, you know, uh, looked back since, which I'm, I'm wildly grateful to say. So that, that to me, it's like, I am, I am a big fan of saying, how do you do this? How do you do this intentionally? But also how do you do it starting where you're at, not starting from some, you know, dreamy, perfect place out in the future. It's like, well, once I have a week to get away to a cabin in the mountains to really dream what this is going to be, once I can do that, then I'll really put a plan together. Or once I can get that weekend away or, you know, the kids aren't around or whatever, where I can really put some strategy together, that's when I'll get this thing started. It's like, if you wait for that perfect kind of epiphany, uh, you know, the sun or, you know, the clouds part and the sun shines down and the angels play their harps in the air. You know, it's all that. If you wait for that, there's a very good chance it's never going to start. So you have to find those simple ways to give yourself permission to start where you're at. Hey, hey Mitch, I, you said something I think is really important if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly. And that is this. If we're looking at, you know, what's next, that dream job, and, and we're trying to figure out what is that big thing? What is that? exact what we're looking for that perfect clarity so what we're doing is we're creating this dependent event which in when i've looked at it this way actually creates some uh, a lot of stress and anxiety this yeah uh, you know that i have to figure it out and what you're talking about is actually this is a process and it's the action of taking those 15 minutes a day that gives you that clarity versus having the clarity first that then would allow you to take action. So we have to, we got to flip the script, everybody, and and just start slow and know that, you know what, it's going to reveal ourselves. And if you're kind of moving slowly 
you know, and you go down a certain path, you go, yeah, you know, this isn't quite it. You know, we haven't gone yeah. all in. We haven't, you know, set, you know, put any financial stress on our family. Uh, and I, man, I think what you just shared is is incredibly powerful for people to actually kind of reframe how they're looking at what might be next for them. Yeah. Well, and I even, you know, uh, we talk a little bit about this and I've done a couple of podcasts on this, uh, as well, but I had to come up with something I call the leap number. Mm. Uh, and that was basically an equation that said with my side hustle that, that, you know, basically starting a business on the side, what I had to do was I had to get specific because there were times where I just wanted to quit. Right. Like, uh, I started the business. I was doing some speaking and some coaching, all those things on the side, and, um, you know, I had to, I, I'd get excited cause all of a sudden I'd get a new client or I'd get excited cause all of a sudden I got a new speaking thing and I thought, Oh, this is it. It's going to happen. All of that. Um, and I'd want to quit. And I knew that that wasn't the right thing. Or sometimes my wife, you know, I come home from a particularly hard day and she'd just be like, that's it. Just quit. Just go after the business. You can do this, all of that. And we had, we had to find this way to like solidify and quantify what it was. And so I basically said, I decided on a, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to completely replace my income while working on the side. Right. But what I did was I set a number. It was a percentage of my salary. And what I knew I had to do is I had to hit that number three months in a row. And what was, what was interesting was that gave us a goal then that also gave us a black and white. That was our leap number. That's when I could fully take the leap, but we needed something like that because it was one of those that I needed a finish line, but I also needed something that was motivating me to build the systems, right? To, to actually learn the business, all of those things. And, and to your point, I think initially one of the, one of the, one of the seasons where I felt particularly stuck was I was waiting to have the perfect vision for what our business would be. And then I thought, okay, once I have that, then I'll put the business plan together. Then I'll really start working on it. It's like, uh, there's no way there, there would have been no way for me to fully envision it if I hadn't started working on it and starting small and all of those things. But the, what the leap number did was that then allowed us to have, you know, it allowed us to have the dream, but then also to dream with our eyes wide open. And focus on, you know, the build and all of those things. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm wildly blessed to say that I thought it was going to take five years, but it actually only took, it was less than two years to go from no business on the side to a business that would allow us to, you know, allow me to take that leap and uh, do it full time. And, and we've been able to do it ever since. Well, John and I call it a side hustle. And, um, you know, you just described perfectly. And so, you know, our listeners out there, whether you have a side hustle or you want to start a side hustle, I love the 15 minutes, uh, you know, rule, just start with 15 minutes. And, you know, the other thing we tell people is surround yourself with folks that see your vision and that can pour into you and can encourage you with it. Because if you just only keep it inside your head, for me, at least, when I was poised to leave corporate America and go out on my own and start my own firm, um, what made it very real and something for me to start chasing is I, I simply started telling people about it, right? Mm. I started started with my husband and, you know, then I told my daughter and, and then I, you know, I, I started telling family members and friends and colleagues that I would just say, hey, I want to meet you for coffee. I want to tell you what I'm, what I'm working on. And I, I tried to do, you know, two of those a week. And yeah, every wow. time I talk to people about it, it became more real. And then it almost becomes like, oh, shoot, I'm telling people 
about it, I better get up and make this happen. <laughs> Some um, built-in accountability, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that would, you know, that's the side hustle that you then start telling people about and it becomes more and more real. Um, because if you just keep it, you know, quiet, a little, you know, kind of your, your best kept secret, then your people aren't going to support you. They're not going to go, hey, you got to meet this guy, right? That sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think relationships are so critical. Being able to surround yourself with some people who are going to encourage you, shoot straight with you. You know, you don't want just people that are going to encourage you no matter what, but, to, you know, to shoot straight with you. But relationships were so pivotal, uh, in, especially when we did all these interviews with people, you know, in the dream going after the dream and defining the dream and all of those things. You know, and it, it definitely played out for those who wanted to launch something, build a business, created that. But we even found that with, with people who actually decided to stay in their career, but to re-engage. Like I interviewed one gal who was in a position that she had fallen out of love in, you know, with, uh, it's one of those things. She started it. She was, uh, basically in public relations and, uh, very, very good at what she did. Very, very successful with what she did, but she had fallen out of love with it. And we we dove into that. And what's interesting is, is that what it took for her, because she absolutely she had moved back into love, right? She was she was head over heels in love with her job. And what she had to, had to work through was she had to work through why did she fall out of love? What you know, it was a little bit like a relationship, right? Like, why did I fall out of love? And one of the things was she realized she hadn't fallen out of love with the work. She actually just had a jackweed for one of her coworkers, just a guy that had moved into a position and just was that, uh, you know, difficult person, challenging on every front, you know, bad communicator, uh, you know, really challenging all of those things. And what she had realized was, hey, I've fallen out of, uh, you know, out of love with a job that that I've, you know, really good at, very successful at. And all pretty much because of this person. Now she wasn't, you know, kind of giving them all control. She wasn't complaining about it. She's like, I've got to get better at handling this situation. And what she realized is she surrounded herself with some people who were very encouraging. Um, she took a class on difficult conversations. Uh, you know, she was very intentional about kind of building up her heart, building up her soul, you know, praying all of those things. And she was able to better handle and address that difficult coworker. And she fell back in love with her job. You know, the, the job had been a dream job. It had become a bad fit job, but when she assessed everything, she decided to re-engage, go after, prepare herself to go after and handle that difficult situation. Um, and, and, you know, equipped herself to do that. But a big part of that was also the relationships and surrounding herself, you know, with some people who could pour into her, especially on those bad days, like you're talking about. And, um, so, you know, I, I, that's just another example of, of someone that didn't necessarily quit her job and go start something new. She just realized she was got back to those strengths we were talking about, got back to those passions we were talking about. And, and in some ways put a new tool or two in her toolbox to deal, deal with a difficult coworker. And that, that job became a dream job again. You know, yeah, I'm, I mean, that's that's really cool. Like your existing job could be your dream job with just some, some few tweaks. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's really important that you brought that up So, because I don't want people to hear the message that to get into your dream job means that you have to go be an entrepreneur and start something because that's not the message, is it? 
Absolutely not. Now, you know, some of the people that, that we interviewed, that's absolutely what they had done. But for so many people, it was either finding something, you know, getting in some ways, it is a lot like a relationship, right? It's like kind of getting reacquainted <laughs> with that, with the work you're doing. And for some, it was tweaking what they were doing. And so sometimes they might change a position within their organization, or sometimes they might just change their mindset. Or sometimes it was about getting involved in something outside of work and and doing something, working on a passion, you know, a, something I even love calling a jobby, right? Sometimes people would start a nonprofit. Like one of the person one of the people that I interviewed, very successful in their career, had kind of fallen out of love a little bit with their career, but um, decided they didn't really want to switch. Uh, they knew they were really good at it. They had a lot of great relationships, all of those things. But there was that longing, the longing in his heart to be able to do something bigger, to have that impact. He was kind of towards the you know latter part of his career. He's like, do I need to make a big switch? All of those things. And he actually just started to get involved with charity work in his area. And found an organization he was just wildly passionate about. He was very grateful. He could, uh, you know, he was very grateful for his position and the job that he had because it allowed him to really pour into this charity from a financial part somewhat. But more so, it was great that he could he could basically provide a lot of insight, a lot of help to this charity and not charge them anything for that because he didn't, you know, he wasn't worried about his income. He was able to just go and pour in and he just realized, you know, it was amazing how it then refueled his appreciation, his gratitude for his career. Um, it helped him with his focus because, you know, it was one of those things that he realized, you know, I don't, I don't need to go and start something different. I'm, I'm really good at what I'm at and what I'm doing, what I, where I'm at. Uh, but I can use all these things that I've done and actually help this little organization that I'm really passionate about. Um, and, you know, it changed his world without changing his title. Yeah. Now, now Mitch, I, I'd love for you to share too, because as you know, as you were kind of on this quest to find your personal dream job and then help other people do it and do, you know, do some coaching and speaking uh, and people, uh, Mitch has a great podcast. Love for you to tune in. It's called dream, think, do, but there, you know, this led to you having uh, and I love this story because you shared part of this with me when you and I talked earlier you had a meeting at your house, and this yeah. house led to something today that's enormous. It's the Big Dream Gathering. And everybody out there, you can, and it'll be in the show notes, you can go to bigdreamgathering.com. But I'd love for you to share a little bit about what happened that night uh, at your house. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, what, what happened was basically back in 2006, late 2005, early 2006, I get this idea for a product and we'd had our own company for a few years at that point, um, you know, provided these different services like coaching and speaking and all of those things. But I got this idea for a product and, um, you know, I talked with my wife about it. We prayed about it and decided to move forward on it. It was actually just a really simple idea. It was a game, but I'd never really created a product. So I wanted to do it and, and we went after it and, um, you know, felt led to do so. And, and as we did, doors started opening, things started happening. It was great. It was like total confirmation. Like, thank you, God. Yes, I was hearing you. Woohoo. It's all working. And then in May of 2006, it all fell apart. <laughs> which was amazing. Uh, we had a manufacturer all lined up and all of a sudden that relationship started a fracture. We had a designer who was helping us design the game, spent w months working with her and she had a computer crash and we lost 
everything months worth of work just went up in in vapors and then we had a number of financial things happen all at once and so all of a sudden we were running out of money really really fast and i'm not sure if you guys have ever had that kind of experience but all of a sudden i went from thank you god to what the heck is going on god you know kind of thing and on a saturday morning i'll never forget it was saturday morning i was sitting in my office actually trying to figure out how to quit like, you know, just box up that product, put it away, never look at it again and just get back to something safe. Right. And I realized, I think God's nudge was we were trying to do it by ourselves. And I think, you know, that's, that's sometimes our inclination, right? If, if it's going to be done, I'm going to do it myself, all those things. And I, that was the mode I had been in. And I started to think, okay, well, if I'm going to ask people for help, you know, this is, this is a dream of mine. If I'm going to ask people for help, I should probably know about their dreams. Maybe I could help them with their dreams. And so I hatched this idea, uh, you know, and invite people to our house, everybody write down some dreams and goals on sheets of paper. We put them up on our walls, look at each other's dreams to see if we could help each other out, you know, write comments, write notes to each other, all those things. And so, you know, this is proof positive. I married up because we're out of time, out of options and out of money. And my big solution, throw a party. Right. <laughs> but my, my wife went for it. We called it a big dream gathering. I sent out an invitation via email, you know, cause I'm cheap, but in the subject line, I put big dream gathering. Cause I thought if I put big dream meeting or big dream committee, nobody's coming to that party. Right. So I said big dream gathering and I invited 30 of our friends over and to our shock, 29 of them came. And we're Lutheran, so we made a potluck, and I know that definitely helped our numbers, right? If there's a casserole, <laughs> covered dish, people are going to show up. But people started to come, and some you know, knew what their dreams and goals were right away. Others needed to sit and look at each other's dreams, you know, look at the dreams that were going up on the walls. Other people needed to sit and talk about their dreams and goals. And it was supposed to go for a couple of hours on a Tuesday night. We lost control of it. Those people started to bring people. Then total strangers started to show up at our house. And it was supposed to go for a couple of hours on a Tuesday night. It wound up going for a full week. And what's amazing is, is that what we see play out there has now played out in, you know, where we do these all over the, all over the country now. Um, same thing happened. You know, it, it was all down to people giving themselves permission to dream. And then giving giving themselves permission to dream together, right? To encourage mm -hmm. each other, to help each other, to connect around dreams. And it's absolutely amazing. So we wound up getting help. A bunch of other people wound up getting help. But the biggest thing that people kept telling us was, thank you for giving us a space where it was safe to dream. And, and it, so we just wanted to see more of that in the world. So ever since that first big dream gathering, and it started slow, but now we do them all over the country. Um, and it's absolutely incredible to see it play out uh, just like that first night. You know, people come some I would say even a majority of the people that come in the room have no idea when they start or maybe they have one idea, maybe one idea of a dream when it starts. But by the time it's done, uh, there's a very good chance they're going to have multiple dreams uh, be more clear on that, be more encouraged in that. But also there's a very good chance they will have encouraged in some cases a total stranger or multiple strangers on their dreams. And there's a gift in that as well. So um, yeah, Big Dream Gathering, we do them all over the country. You can check out bigdreamgathering.com for a schedule for our fall lineup. We're going to be um, East Coast, West Coast, everywhere in between as well. So I'd love to see you at one of those as well. That sounds awesome. So, okay, now we're wrapping up. So yeah. what is your very last thought? If you have people out there that are, 
you know, they're listening to this and they're curious or they're unhappy or whatever. What's your last big thought for them as we wrap up today? Absolutely. I think it's kind of in review, but going back, especially if you're in that, that maybe it's a bad fit job. My guess is if you're listening to this, if you're, if you're spending time with Jan, John and Sandra, it's a very good chance you're successful, right? You're, you're working hard. You're doing something. You might not feel successful. You may not feel completely fulfilled. You may be in that bad fit job, but maybe that, that resonates with you that you're there, but you're, you're maybe feeling stuck, maybe even feeling a little afraid of telling somebody that you're unsatisfied or unfulfilled. My, my suggestion would be to give yourself permission to start small, whether it's that 15 minutes a day, whether it's just devoting a little bit of time. Don't, don't feel like you've got to have it all figured out immediately. Don't feel like you've got to have it all figured out before you start. Give yourself that permission to just start and almost take an approach of what I call a scientific approach, right? Put on that lab coat that a scientist does and just give yourself permission to experiment. A, you know, a, a scientist walks into the lab and starts to experiment. They, you know, they have a guess at how something's going to work. They'll have a, you know, that hypothesis is as defined. It's a best guess at how something's going to work. And then they start to experiment. And if the experiment goes the way they thought, Great. But if the experiment doesn't go the way they thought, that's not failure. That's actually learning. Right. And, and as long as you're learning, as long as you're experimenting and learning, you're moving forward. And I've seen a whole lot of people create dream jobs and more importantly, create dream lives just by giving themselves that permission to start small. And that's what I encourage you to do today. And that's awesome. So permission to start. And I think, you know, that first step would go schedule 15 minutes in your calendar for the next like five days in a row, right? It's 4th of July while well, when we're recording this, right? So go find that time and just start thinking and then just share that with somebody and just start um, taking those small steps forward. That is awesome. And, 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 and so it's just, uh, just to reiterate, how do people get in touch with you, plug into everything that you're doing? Absolutely. Probably the best place to start is just MitchMatthews.com. Um, they can find out about the Dream Thing Do podcast. They can find out about my books, the Big Dream Gathering, all those things. So they just all routes through MitchMatthews.com. All right, everybody. So go out there. Do not be. Do not let yourself settle for mediocrity, uh, as you've heard and. And in, in Mitch's book, you interviewed over 200 people. And if they can find that next, you know, step into something just so much more full of joy and fulfillment, you know, you know what? We can do the same thing. So, buddy, thank you so much for your time. Such an encouraging message and love what you're doing. I just pray that God just blesses you mightily in the lives that you're touching. And, uh, man, just thank you for not only who you are, but the message you're bringing out into the world. Uh, it's an Absolutely. honor to be on the show. Thank you guys so much for all that you guys are doing. It's it's fantastic. It's just great to get to. I'm grateful for Dondi and the connection. Yes. she's. I'm going to write her a thank you note right now. <laughs> <laughs>